The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. So there's this column, there's a columnist, well, the columnist is Stephen King, the author, and he always talks about something random. And just a couple days ago, I was reading his column, and he says, the, he, the title is The Trouble with Earworms. And he says, some songs get into your head and then won't leave. Here's a survivor's tale. And um, he talks about, he says, I've been infected by an earworm. That's what you call songs that burrow into your head and commence chewing your brains. The dreaded earworm can turn even a great song into something you'd run from, screaming at the top of your lungs, if only you could get away from it. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because he, on his website, asked people who visit his blogs um, to, to contribute the songs that they can't get out of their heads, and so I wanted to tell you the top five. It's probably stupid because you won't be able to hear anything I say because all you were thinking about is these songs. Um, the number one, the clear winner was Macarena by Los Del Rio. <laughs> also was Coconut by Harry Nilsson, the you put the lime in the coconut, that song. <laughs> Who Let the Dogs Out by the Bahamas. <laughs> Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Vega. <laughs> they all have a Latin theme, which is interesting. Um, and then Mickey by Tony Basil. Um, oh, Mickey, you're so fine, you're so fine, boy, man. Yeah, the one song that um, I can't get out of my head m- most often is Mr. Roboto. Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. Secret, secret, I've got a secret. All right. Well, the reason I brought that up is because um, this quarter, so far, we have been doing a series a little different from the norm. We've been looking at popular songs. You're probably thinking, oh, does looking at the top 40, you know, help you learn about God. But... More specifically, we've been examining the messages that we hear in music that we listen to every day, day in and day out. We've been trying to figure out what are the longings that we hear when we listen to the popular songs that we hear every day on the radio. What are the longings we hear in these lyrics? What are the longings that are reflected of our culture? And what are the longings that we can know to be true in ourselves as well? So we've been asking that question um, and also kind of asking the question, okay, we, we hear these longings, how does our faith enter into that? How does the gospel kind of intersect with what those longings are? So last week, Tom Noble um, talked about Coldplay, and um, he did the song Fix You, is what he talked about. And the week before that, Dr. Jeff Cuse, um, Sufjan Stevens, and Ryan, the week before that, talked about you too. Um, and... Tonight, I decided to um, go a different direction and, and do a female artist. So that's what we're going to be looking at. But I want to I talk a little bit first and let you know I'm the first to admit I'm tragically unhip when it comes to music. It's kind of laughable that I'm up here talking about popular music. Don't get me wrong. I do have some music sensibilities. If you check out my iPod, you know, I'm a big, a big fan of Death Cab. There's some... Brandy Carlisle on there. Um, I love Keen. They're one of my favorites. Um, even some a little Coldplay. But we all have our go-to music. The music, if we really can listen to what we want to listen to, that's what we'll listen to. And mine is a little 
impacted by the fact that I shared a room with my older sister. She's quite a bit older than I am. And um, she went to high school in 1984. So when she um, started developing her musical tastes, I did as well. So I have um, a definite draw towards bands such as Wham. She was obsessed (laughs) with George Michael. I cannot tell you how many times we listened to Careless Whisper um, in our bedroom. Pat Benatar, um, Hall and Oates, The Go-Go's, and, of course, Journey. Although, okay, let's be honest. You guys like Journey's album Escape just as much as I do. We were at the winter retreat this year, and we were at the dance on Saturday night, and the song Don't Stop Believin' comes on, and everybody starts singing and screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, just a small-town girl living in a lonely world on a midnight train going anywhere. And I was, I was standing there going, wait, what is going on? Is this 1981? When are we? It was just so surreal. It was the strangest experience. Um, my favorite band of all time, the band that I love more than any other, is The Carpenters. I know what you're thinking, you're all like, who the heck are the Carpenters? They were really popular in the 70s. I have all of their albums, records, those plastic round things. I have all of those. Um, I have their box set, CDs. And really, the reason I love the Carpenters is because I love Karen Carpenter. She has the most beautiful voice of all time. I'm not using her properly. It's true. Okay, I've always said that in my heaven, all of the angels will, angels will sing just like Karen Carpenter. She has this really beautiful, amazing voice. And it's, it's really deep and haunting, but her lyrics are never really deep and haunting. Um, one song you guys probably know is Close to You. Just like me, they long to be close to you. I know what you're all thinking. Why is Janie not on the worship team? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she can totally sing. Um, that, that was Karen Carpenter singing Superstar, one of her best hits. Um, as you can see, she's very powerful. She brings men to tears with her voice. I love that clip as well because I think it demonstrates why we're doing this series. Music is so important in our lives. Um, we all have experiences of going on a road trip and just belting out songs at the top of our lungs, or we might hear a song and it'll remind us of something that happened, you know, sometime. In, in our past, music has an amazing power in our lives, and we don't often pay attention to the power that it has in our lives. So that's why we wanted to do this series. Um, before we take a closer look at the song we're going to look at tonight, I just want to stop a minute and pray for us. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we are so grateful that you are here with us tonight. We're so grateful that you are here with us when we aren't in this room as well, that we can discover more of you in so many places in our lives. Um, And I pray that you would make yourself known to us tonight, that your spirit would fall upon us. Lord, let your spirit be in the words of my mouth. Let your spirit be in the meditation of all of our hearts. pray these things in your name. Amen. So the popular artist I chose to talk about, she actually has a deep and haunting voice like Karen, but also like Karen... Her lyrics aren't necessarily um, deep and haunting. And we're going to look at a song by Natasha Bedingfield. Natasha is a British pop star. Um, I'm sure you've heard of her. Her 
caught her um, first single that was released in the U.S., Unwritten, a couple of summers ago. It was everywhere. And it broke all sorts of records for, like, the biggest single in the history of the universe and stuff like that. So um, I did a, a bit of research about Natasha. You guys are going to think by the end of this I chose her so I could say it, Natasha a bunch of times. Um, I did a bit of research about Natasha on the worldwide waste of time, and (laughs) it was interesting to hear what she had to say about her songs and also about um, being an artist. She sees her music as an extension of herself and often explores themes of independence, empowerment, and optimism. In one interview, she said that she is proud that her songs offer people hope. And the most recent huge hit of hers is called Pocket Full of Sunshine. It's also everywhere. Um, it definitely goes along with, this, with these ideas of positivity and empowerment. So we're actually going to watch the video of her song. And when we do, pay attention to the environment that, um, that they're in and how it changes. And also, just pay attention to the lyrics that um, she's communicating as well. I think my favorite part of the video is when she jumps out of the office building and changes clothes mid-air in a parachute, but we never thought videos would be realistic. So the question is, what do we hear in that song? What are the longings that we can identify in what she's saying, what she's singing? Well, immediately obvious is the environment she's in at the beginning. It's drab, it's black, she's in a cubicle. And then she starts singing about this pocket full of sunshine she's got. Do what you want, but you're never going to break me. Sticks and stones are never going to shake me. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) She's saying, no matter what the world throws at me, I'm going to be fine. I've got a secret love. It's all mine. There's certainly empowerment in this message. But the thing I find interesting is that Even though that's the message we hear in this song, I don't think that's the complete message because interspersed with the verses about I've got a pocket full of sunshine, I've got this inner strength that's sustaining me, there's this this other message about escaping. Take me away, a secret place, a sweet escape, a hiding place. It's fascinating to have these two messages right next to each other, kind of a tension between I'm fine, I've got it together, I can rely on myself, and... Right next to that is crying out for escape. Get me out of here. I can't handle this. It's almost like hidden in this song about strength and empowerment is a secret crying out that we all have in our hearts. When asked what her favorite track was on the CD, she said, A Pocket Full of Sunshine. She says, It's about going to a familiar place when you're in that situation that you want to escape from and finding a peaceful place within. There's anything I think that hits the nail on the head when it comes to longings that we hear about in our culture, it's this song. Because we hear both messages all the time, don't we? We hear, you are great, you are strong, you can do it, you are amazing. And at the same time that we hear that, we're thinking, what we're thinking and feeling in ourselves is, well, what's that based in? I mean, really, I just want someone to get me the heck out of here. I don't know what I'm doing. When I listened to the song over and over again and I read the lyrics again and again, I kept thinking that the message that she is talking about, the longing she's identifying, is contentment. 
the desire that all of us have to find the way to be content in our lives. But I would say that there's something missing from the contentment she talks about, finding it, the strength within yourself, finding a way to escape. And I think our faith has something to say about that. The person that comes to mind for me whenever I think about contentment is the Apostle Paul. A man who had a conversion so radical, he says that he wants to die so that he can be united with Christ again. Because he knows how amazing that is going to be. Yet, even in the midst of that desire, he demonstrates for us and he tells us, gives us insight into this desire that we have. The longing we have to find contentment that seems just out of our grasp. It's right there, but we just can't get it. We can't know that contentment. At least that's the way it is for me. Maybe everybody in this room has contentment all figured out. You all know exactly what you're going to do, and you feel pretty settled in that. I'm guessing not. Um, and I think that that's a con- that I desire for contentment is something that all of us have. There's a passage that Paul wrote in Philippians um, chapter 4 that's about contentment. You might be familiar with it. It's a pretty popular passage of Scripture. And um, to give you a little bit of background, the book of Philippians is Paul writing a letter to his friends at the church in Philippi that he helped start. And he's actually writing this letter from prison. He's um, expressing to them gratitude because they have given him gifts. They sent gifts with Epaphroditus, who is a friend of theirs, and he has come to visit Paul. So Paul has expressed some gratitude. So I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse 10, and listen for these words about contentment. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is saying thank you. And he is saying, thank you, not because I needed you to do this for me, because I have figured out how to be content, but I just thank you because you have given to me. End of story. So this idea of contentment, what can we glean from what Paul writes? What can we learn from what Paul writes? I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 again. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. First of all, Paul lets us know 
that contentment was something he had to learn. The secret, he had to learn to be content. We all know, as Paul did, that it is not a part of the basic human condition to feel content. Most of the time, we feel anxious. We are cynical. We find fault with everything. We are trained to look for ways to improve everything, including ourselves. Contentment is not natural. We have to learn it, as Paul talks about. Yet Paul says he has learned to be content in prison. In prison, no matter what his circumstances might look like. The word content wasn't used very often in the New Testament. It wasn't, it's not, you can't find it really anywhere except here. And in Greek, the word content is actually translated self-sufficiency. It's a word that is associated with the Stoic philosophy that was really popular of the time. And contentment was the ideal. That is what you wanted to do if you were a Stoic. Paul would have known this. He would have been familiar with Stoicism. And um, Stoics were trying to live above need, live above abundance. No matter what circumstances you encounter, you are completely unaffected by them. Because contentment is all about self-sufficiency. That's what you were if um, you were content as a Stoic. We all have people that we know that are like that, right? We all have the friend who's totally unaffected by anything. Just go with the flow, you know? Whatever. All I need are some tasty waves, and I'm fine. That's Dave Palmer for anybody who um, knows Dave Palmer. We all, we all have that friend who um, we know who's not affected. Now, I don't think Stoicism is necessarily the popular philosophy of our day, but there are some parts of it that I think we hear all the time, right? We hear self-sufficiency is what we should hold above everything else. That's pretty American. Pull up your bootstraps. You can do anything on your own. Be strong in who you are. Rely on yourself. Excuse me. Spitting all over the place. Rely on yourself. You've got a pocket full of sunshine, right, that... You can hold on to. A sweet escape. It's all yours. With what we read in Philippians chapter 4, Paul pushes the envelope of that idea. He's using the language of Stoicism, but he turns it on its head. He changes the ideal of Stoicism and says, Neither want nor plenty are going to determine my life, because I'm going to find my strength in Christ. And I can handle either. He uses similar language to describe an attitude toward life that outwardly looks just like that, but inwardly is completely different. He has discovered contentment, but it's not about what is in himself. He's not affected by what goes on around him. He can learn to accept whatever comes his way because his relationship with Christ made plenty or want irrelevant. Because what we learn about contentment is Paul is someone who is absolutely, totally, completely centered on Christ in all of his life. Paul's entire life is about being a man centered on Christ, whose identity is in Christ. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think Paul is saying that he's going to have a smile on his face no matter what happens, Mr. Positivity. Because life is hard. It's full of grief and it's full of pain and we're going to be impacted by that. He's in prison. He's probably singing the blues some of the time that he's in there. 
Well, what we can take from this message of true contentment that he knows exactly who he is. He knows that he gets his strength for life from Christ. That is why he is content. His contentment comes from his identity, not his circumstances. He is content because his identity is in Christ, not whatever his circumstances look like. In plenty or in want, in good times or in bad, he knows he is united with Christ. Paul is saying to the Philippians that contentedness, his contentedness, our contentedness, does not happen because we are able to get by during the difficult times. It doesn't happen because we're able to rejoice in the abundant times. Our contentedness happens because we are people who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. That is where our identity comes from. That is where our contentedness comes from. Not our circumstances. Our identity. A verse from this passage that's used out of context uh, every once in a while. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Tim Tebow, who's the University of Florida quarterback, um, on his eye black for every football game, he writes Philippians 4.13. Um, and I'm pretty sure that when Paul was writing this verse, I might be wrong, could be a little off, but when Paul was writing this verse on the floor of a prison, he wasn't talking about the Florida Gators being victorious in the SEC championship game. Woohoo! God and Tim Tebow do it again! Yes! Paul doesn't want us to expect amazing feats, feats of impossible strength. Paul wants us to recognize that we can be content whether we win the game or we lose the game. It's not about what happens in the game. It's not about what happens in our circumstances. It's about drawing our identity, our strength from Christ. True contentment in our faith is the opposite of Stoic philosophy. It's not about getting within ourselves. It's not about finding that pocket full of sunshine that we can draw from. It's about getting outside of ourselves. It's about recognizing that who we are are people who are called to be united with Christ. All that we are, all that we will be, is people who are centered in and centered on Christ. This past Sunday at UPC, one of the pastors here, Dave Rohr, was talking about this um, similar similar thing, talking about Jesus Christ being where we find our identity and who we are. And he used this great analogy of the 520 bridge. You guys have probably seen the 520 bridge in the midst of a storm. And oftentimes, one side of the bridge is like super stormy and like white caps, and the other side is completely calm. I have a picture of it right there. It's crazy, right? Look at that side. I mean, it's just out of control. And the other side, crystal clear like glass. And he said that that is the picture we can have when it comes to putting our identity in Christ. Christ is that bridge in the middle. The waves on the right side are just out of control. Chaos. Whether the circumstances look like that or the circumstances look totally pristine, the bridge is the same. Right in the middle. The strong structure. Well, we won't get into the structural problems of the 520 bridge, but... This strong structure on which we can base our identity, it doesn't change. It doesn't change with the waves. It doesn't change with the pristine. The circumstances don't make a difference. It's what's in the middle where we can place our identity. 
Well, because of this consumer culture that we live in, we know that we all hear every single day, you are not content. You are not content because you need to buy this, and then you're going to be content. You need to go here, and then you're going to be content. There's all of these things that you need in order to discover this contentment that you haven't been able to find yet in your life. As a result, I think contentment is one of the most difficult things for us to figure out, to base our our trust in the identity we have in Christ. So I wanted to talk about a couple of things that I think we put our content, we base our contentment in, we move Jesus out of the way, and we put that right in the center of where we find our contentment. And the first one that I think sabotages us all the time is um, comparing ourselves to others. Seeking the approval of people around us. A couple of months ago, it was January, I got a phone call one morning. And I answered, it was my friend Cheryl. And Cheryl and I have been friends forever. Um, we went to preschool together, K through 12. Um, and we've stayed close since we graduated from high school, even though we've lived different places in the world. So she's one of my closest friends. And she calls me to tell me some really exciting news. She had just gotten engaged which I was so excited to hear about her engagement story and her upcoming wedding, and I was really celebrating with her in the midst of this um, new development in her life. And, and then we hung up the phone, and half hour later, same morning, half hour later, um, I get a phone call from my other friend, Jody. And this is another friend that I've had since we were kids. Um, we went all through school together, graduated together, but we've stayed in touch since we graduated um, Still another close friend. And Jody had called to tell me this really exciting news. She had just gotten engaged. <laughs> yeah, it was so exciting to hear the story of how she got engaged and her impending nuptials. Um, I was really thrilled. I actually was. I was really excited to hear about that. But I remember hanging up the phone and looking at it and saying, oh, I am awesome. <laughs> I feel great about myself right now. (laughs) And I'm someone who has always been pretty content being single. Um, I've enjoyed the, you know, the benefits of being single. I've been able to live a lot of places and um, do things that I wouldn't necessarily be do if I were, be able to do if I were married. I get to sleep late whenever I want. You know, it's great. (laughs) I've always been content being single, you know. I mean, I definitely would love to be married someday, but that's kind of the reality that I was in. But on that day, I realized, um, yeah, I, don't, I don't really know if I feel pretty, I don't feel as good about myself anymore. I don't know if I'm as content being single. And actually, I was kind of like, what's wrong with me? Why does anybody want to marry me? Me sucks. <laughs> I realized that I thought I was content being single, but I used those two people as a way for me to be like, I'm fine. Look at those guys, right? They're still single. And when they weren't anymore, then my contentedness was something I had to struggle through, actually, for a little while. The voice in our head tells us we need to do something amazing so that we look amazing compared to all these other people. And sometimes I think we think we need to do something amazing so that God's going to be impressed with us. Instead of being able to rest in the fact that we find our strength in Christ, that is where our contentedness comes from. Not in comparing ourselves to other people. Guaranteed, you can't measure yourself up against her and feel content about yourself. 
You can't compare yourself to that guy over there and feel content about yourself. Gosh, if I were as successful as she is, then, oh, I know I would be content. If I were as ripped as that guy, oh, yeah, I know that I would be content. Looking side to side is only going to give us whiplash. What we have to do is look up. Acknowledge the union we have with Christ. Allow our contentment to come from that relationship alone instead of comparing ourselves to other people to find our contentment. A second factor in our lives that gets in the way of contentment that Paul calls us to is that we get so focused on what is going to happen that we aren't able to be content in what is happening right now. Don't get me wrong, it's important to plan for the future. you got to think about what you're going to do. It's important to be ambitious. Even in your spiritual life, I think it's valuable to, to say, I want, I want transformation in my life. I want to focus on getting the sin out of my life. I want to have a better prayer life. But we can spend so much time thinking about the future that it's impossible for us to find contentment right now. Live in the now is what we're called to do. Okay, you know, we're, we're always waiting for that day to come when we're going to be content. Oh, when this quarter's over, I then I know I'm going to be content. When I graduate from college, I know I'm going to be content. When I find that perfect job, when I get married, when I have a job, um, when I live overseas, when I open a Froyo franchise, when I have a dog named B-Roy, then I will be content, right? <laughs> the list is endless. And let me tell you, as someone who has a few years on you, the end of that list never truly comes. There's always one more thing that you need to do in order to reach your contentment. Paul's words 2,000 years ago that he wrote from a prison cell said, I have strength because of the one who gives me strength. And those words are true for us today, right now. We can have strength. We can know contentment when we discover our identity is based in Christ alone. Not in some amazing feat that we're going to do. Not in some future time or location. But right here, right now, we can discover contentment by our identity in Christ. By acknowledging the union that we have. Because we are created for relationship with Christ. And that is the only place we can look for contentment. Right now, April 21st, 2009. That's when it can start. I want to finish just by acknowledging when we look at the lyrics of Pocketful of Sunshine and our desire to go inside ourselves to escape to somewhere different, when we look at that alongside Paul's words to the Philippians, the most important thing to remember in order to find contentment, we have to look outside ourselves. We have to look outside ourselves Paul never said, I learned the secret of contentment, and it's easy. It's a challenge to get outside ourselves to discover our identity in Christ anew every single day. And the whole purpose and what Paul wrote as a letter to the Philippians was to thank them, to thank them for reaching out to him, for getting outside of themselves. He offered so much gratitude for what they had done for him. And that is another way that we can discover contentment in our lives, is to be able to get outside ourselves, discover the identity that we have in Christ, and share that with people. 
Honestly, I know one of the best ways I've discovered to find contentment in my own life is to stop thinking about myself, figure out what I can do to help someone else. Our identity in Christ is the only place that we are going to find true contentment. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful that we can do all things through the strength that you provide for us. We are grateful that no matter where we are, no matter when we are, that we can know your contentment, Lord, regardless of our circumstances, whether we are in plenty or we are in want, whether well-fed or hungry, Lord, we can learn what it is to be content by acknowledging that we need to put our heart and our mind and our soul into the relationship that we have with you. Lord, grant us the wisdom and the desire to do so. In your holy name, amen.